Well, good morning again. Hi, Kalia. Well, Hoyt has officially finished through the book of Philippians, and uh, he'll probably need some time to decide on what his next sermon series will be. So in the meantime, we're going to start back up in our series, The Harmony of the Gospels. So uh, go ahead and start making your way to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be at this morning. And if you need a Bible, we've got them there in the pew racks in front of you. And if you need a Bible to take home with you, please take one of those. They are there for people to have God's Word. So Mark chapter 1, as I said, as you guys are turning there, I I realized I hadn't preached here in a long time. Uh, I hadn't preached here in a Sunday morning in a while. And so I decided I would look up and see when the last time it was that I preached. And it turns out it's two days away from being a year since I preached here on a Sunday morning. And I don't really know how I got away with that. Um, But I did have the pleasure of speaking at Wild Adventure Camp this summer, which was just an awesome opportunity. But yeah, January 31st, 2022 was the last time that I was up here preaching. So it's been a while. I mean, we added another kid to our family since then. Like, that's how long it's been. And uh, all three of our kids and my wife are doing great. They're amazing and we're having a fun time raising them. So anyway... As I was saying, we're starting up our Harmony in the Gospel series, and we plan to carry this series up close to Easter so we can continue making good progress through our, all four Gospels. This series will probably be kind of similar to our Psalms series, that it's going to take, you know, a good chunk of time to get through. As a brief refresher to this series, the Harmony of the Gospels is taking all four of the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and doing our best to try and tell one story in chronological order of the life, the events, and the teachings of Jesus. And this gets tricky at times, though, because the original gospel writers didn't have chronological order as their main focus. And so, for example, you'll see one event pop up super early on in the Gospel of Mark, and then the same event will pop up a bit later in the Gospel of Luke, and then that same event will pop up even later in the Gospel of Matthew, And then John just doesn't even talk about it. And so this, it does not take away from the validity or the historicity of the Gospels, but it does show that each author has specific purposes and a certain audience in mind as they wrote their Gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so our purpose for combining all four Gospel accounts for this series can be summed up in the theme verse that we've had for it, John chapter 20, verse 31, which says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We hope to leave no stone unturned as we make our way through all four Gospels, so that we may believe and grow in faith in Jesus, that the Messiah and the Son of God, having life eternally in him. So what have we covered up to this point? I want to be brief here. If you've missed parts of this series or all of this series, I encourage you to check out our website, check out our YouTube channel, check out our podcast. We've got all of the content there. Um, But yeah, so very briefly, we began in John's gospel, which actually takes us back to before the beginning of creation, learning that Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he's here to live and dwell with humanity so that we may be children of God. John writes, beginning in verse 1-1, In the beginning was the Word, 
And here, word, he's talking about Jesus. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And jumping down to verse 10, he continues on. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And after beginning in John's gospel, we then jumped to the birth of Jesus in Matthew's and Luke's accounts, seeing that Jesus' birth was unlike any other person in all of history, and that his birth fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah 7 that a virgin would give birth to a son and his name would be Emmanuel. God is with us. And then moving forward from there, we saw John the Baptist's ministry pop up in the beginning of all four Gospels, which doesn't happen very often, so that's a big important thing. And we see John is preparing the way for the Lord, for Jesus, fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40. And since then, it has been a mix of John, Luke, Matthew, and Mark as we have been working our way through Jesus' time of ministry, which involves his baptism, being tempted in the desert, his miracles, his healings, his teachings, and so on. So, there is a very brief recap. And there's important people and events and statements that I did not mention. So if you have missed those sermons, please uh, go check them out online so you can be caught up and know what is going on. But what is key for this series for us is knowing all four gospel writers, all four authors want their audience to read and believe that Jesus wasn't just a prophet or a messenger like John or Isaiah was. Jesus wasn't just a great spiritual or religious teacher like what some people would think of of Gandhi or Buddha. And he wasn't just a king or an anointed man of God to come and free the Jewish people from Roman oppression. All four gospel writers make the claim that there is no one like Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God, to proclaim the good news that God has a plan to conquer sin and death because humanity is enslaved to it. Jesus is the king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. All four gospel writers show that Jesus is God as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, who came not to free humanity from worldly and temporary troubles, but to free all those who believe in him from the eternal conflict of our rebellion and our sin against God. So as we work our way through this series, we will see over and over again what John stated at the end of his gospel. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
All right, so that brings us to our passage for today. We are in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 40. Today, and potentially for the following two Sundays, we'll be using Mark's account as it contains the events we want to look at back to back to back. Luke's Gospel also has them all in a row as well, so we may use his in the coming weeks. And as we work through Mark's account, we will use Matthew's and or Luke's accounts to supplement or clarify something that Mark may not have. And if you are wondering, John is just kind of doing his own thing and doesn't mention this event at all in his gospel. As I mentioned earlier, it's not common that all four gospel accounts share the same events. So let's read our text for this morning, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, and then I'll pray and we'll get into this. Mark records, Then a man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet, he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, this day that we have to worship you. I thank you for everyone here that this time is set apart, set aside to remind us of who you are, to remind us of what you've done for us, God. I pray this morning as we're in your word that your word and your spirit are speaking to us, that you are saying what our hearts and our minds need to hear and think. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, it, it does your will in us that it encourages us, it challenges us, it rebukes us, whatever it may be, Lord, that you need to accomplish within us, I pray that your spirit is working and that our hearts are soft and desiring to be conformed into your image, into your desire and will. So I just pray for us this morning, Lord. Help us to listen with open ears, open eyes, open hearts, and open minds. I pray in your name. Amen. All right, so this passage ends the first chapter of Mark's gospel. While in Luke's gospel, it's in the fifth chapter. And in Matthew's gospel, it's in the beginning of the eighth chapter. So lots of other events have occurred in Matthew and Luke's gospels, like, like the birth of Jesus. But in Mark's gospel, he begins in John the Baptist preparing the way, skipping the birth of Jesus and gets right into Jesus beginning his ministry. Mark's gospel is action-packed, going from one event to the next. And Mark carries the plot along in his gospel with the common word immediately or at once, while providing lots of details in many of the events that he does record. And coming to our passage today, Mark has already established some key themes for his gospel account. He begins right away in Mark 1 verse 1 stating, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark cuts right to the chase stating, Jesus is the Son of God. And this gospel that he composes will reveal that. 
Jumping down to Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, he writes, After John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark tells his audience that the time is now here. That with Jesus on the scene, the kingdom of God has come near. This kingdom refers to God's reign and sovereignty and that his realm or dominion has come near because the king, Jesus, has come near. This idea of God's kingdom coming near is further developed and understood as Mark's gospel continues and we see Jesus demonstrating his power and his authority through his healings, his teaching, and other miracles. And just before our passage for today, Mark writes in uh, verse 38, and he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Mark shows us that Jesus did not come only to heal and to perform miracles, but to teach and preach the good news of his coming, which ties back to the kingdom of God coming near. What's interesting is that Mark's gospel doesn't have long passages of Jesus preaching or teaching like Matthew has with the Sermon on the Mount that takes up three chapters, or John's many recordings of Jesus debating with the Pharisees or instructing his disciples. We see Mark's gospel contains many events that serve to instruct or preach or speak to his audience of who Jesus is and why he came, which is a great description of our passage today. I've titled today's sermon, The Unclean Made Clean. And my hope is that we'll see not only that this unclean leper was miraculously made clean by Jesus, but also that we all are unclean because of our sin. We are all spiritual lepers, so to speak. And we are only made clean by Jesus. So let's read verse 40 of our passage and see what Mark has to teach us. It says, Then a man with leprosy came to him, and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. I've labeled this first part of our passage, a leper's plea. A leper comes to Jesus and begs him to be cleansed and healed. There's a couple things to point out here as we get going. First, the word that's translated leper in our Bible, it refers to various skin diseases. It covers a whole you know, smorgasbord of those things, not just one in particular. But what we do see with this particular man is that his skin disease was not a minor or dismissible thing. In Luke's account, in chapter 5, verse 12, Luke describes the man as full of leprosy. So we can imagine that the extent of his skin disease is quite severe. Which leads to the second thing to point out, that because this man was full of leprosy, he was considered unclean. And by unclean, I mean that this man could not live in society. He was considered an outcast completely removed from society, isolated. This stems from laws regarding skin diseases established in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. A passage that summarizes this man's problem is Leviticus 13 verses 45 and 46. It says, The person who has a case of serious skin disease, like this leper, is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose. 
and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean, if anyone is near him. He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. The man coming to Jesus not only suffered from a horrible skin disease, but even worse, he was removed from life itself. He must live alone in a place outside the camp, separated from everyone, family, friends, everyone. The famous historian Josephus described lepers as dead men. This man's condition was comparable to a corpse due to how the law described his uncleanness. He was effectively treated the same as a dead body. And to be healed of this severe condition was considered equivalent to bringing the dead back to life. In 2 Kings chapter 5, it tells of this mighty warrior from Aram named Haman who had a skin disease just like this leper. And Haman has a letter sent to the king of Israel asking him to cure his skin disease because he heard from a little girl that, hey, in Israel, there's a guy that can do this for you. And the king gets this letter and responds in 2 Kings 5, 7 saying, am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure him of this skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight with me. It was inconceivable for the king to think of healing the skin-diseased Haman. It wasn't possible. So the leper in our passage really had no hope of being clean or having any semblance of a life again. He was a living corpse. For him to come and find Jesus should not have happened. Levitical law told him to remain outside the population, to stay away. And in this man's case, that meant forever. There was no end in sight to his diseased skin. And yet we see this man somehow hears of Jesus and all the miracles he has performed and the teaching he's done. Mark's account has shown Jesus has been gaining popularity up to this point because of his healings and preaching. So much so that this leper dares to enter where he should not because Jesus is his only hope. He comes in faith to Jesus and on his knees begging him says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it all hangs on how Jesus will respond to this man, this unclean, skin-diseased, lonely corpse of a man. Is Jesus willing? Will God in the flesh care for this unclean man? Or will Jesus, this Messiah or anointed king, will he just tell him to get away from him and go back to his isolation? Mark tells us in verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. Be made clean. Here we come to the second part of our passage, the Messiah's response. Jesus is willing. The Messiah 
this anointed king who is ushering in the kingdom of God is willing to heal this unclean man. And he's willing in a way that no one would have guessed. First, Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus is not disgusted. He's not fearful of being close to this skin-diseased, unclean man. He's not angry that this leper put him in jeopardy of being ceremonially unclean. The wording here for compassion describes Jesus being deeply moved within him, at the core of where love and pity figuratively resides within us, deep down in our gut. And in this strong felt compassion, we see the heart of God. The God who is slow to anger and rich in faithful love. Jesus deeply cares for this man who has come to him pleading in faith to be made clean. Second, we see Jesus is stretching out his hand and touches this man. No one would have risked touching a leper as they believed it not only made them unclean, but they feared that they would have developed leprosy as well. But Jesus had no fear of these things. Rather than Jesus becoming unclean, Jesus' touch brought cleanness to the man. Here we begin to see Jesus' authority over disease and his healing power. And we also see Jesus' compassion on display. This man hadn't felt the touch of another human in who knows how long. I have a hard time going, you know, a day without hugging my wife. And God himself reaches out, lays his hand on this guy. This is God's love and compassion on display. Touching the untouchable. The third thing Jesus says, I am willing to be made clean. After putting his hand on him, Jesus utters this simple phrase and verse 42 says, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately the leprosy leaves the leper and he is made clean. Here is a man who had no hope, no solution to his everlasting problem. He was a living corpse, no one in his life but himself. And he hears that there's a man who's performing miracles and healing diseases and preaching about the kingdom of God. And so he goes. He goes to where he has been banished from, hoping this man is willing to heal him. And in less than a minute of finding him, he is healed completely. There is not a trace of his leprosy. He's been made clean because Jesus the one Mark begins his gospel saying is the Son of God said so. Jesus is proving himself to be the Son of God, the Messianic King who came not to be served but to serve. Jesus puts on display his authority over disease and his healing power. Jesus demonstrates that the kingdom of God has come and it has come for even the rejected and the loneliest. Jesus' response continues though. We read on in verses 43 and 44. 
Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone. In the Greek, it's a double negative. He says, tell nobody nothing, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Jesus' stern warning kind of pops up out of nowhere in this passage. But it matches other instances in Mark's gospel in which Jesus, Jesus doesn't want his identity to be revealed or his miracles to be shared. And there's different ideas of why Jesus says this multiple times, but there's no clean, kind of easy answer. And what we'll see in a minute is how the cleansed leper and others ignoring Jesus' command to keep quiet is never actually viewed as a negative thing in Mark's gospel. We also see that Jesus upholds the Mosaic law regarding cleansing from skin disease and tells the man to go and do what Moses commanded. And in turn, it will serve as a testimony to the people in general and the priests specifically of what has miraculously happened to this leper. And so we come to our last part of the passage, the proclamation of the one made clean. The proclamation of the one made clean. Let's read verse 45. It says, Yet he, the cleansed leper, yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. The cleansed man does the exact opposite of what Jesus tells him to do. He's proclaiming. The word there is preaching. He's preaching to everyone he can of what Jesus did. And we might think this is bad, but Mark does not portray it as such. In Mark chapter 7, verse 36, Jesus has just healed a deaf man. And it says, he ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They couldn't stop proclaiming and preaching this good news. And in the case for our passage in Mark chapter 7 and every other instance in Mark's gospel, preaching is always viewed in a positive light. It leads to Jesus being glorified by all these people. One commentator explains this dilemma of Jesus' warning and the cleansed man's proclamation in this way. He says, Even though Jesus does not seek fame and notoriety and commands those he has healed not to share what he has done for them, those who are healed cannot help but preach the good news and spread the word that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he has inaugurated the kingdom of God. Thus, the command to silence functions in Mark's story not on the level of whether those healed should or should not have preached the word about Jesus, but rather it serves to illustrate the greatness of the Son of God who cannot be hid. And that's exactly what the cleansed man is doing in our passage. This leper goes from being a complete outcast and living in isolation to proclaiming what happened to everyone he can. This man has new life now because he came to Jesus in faith and Jesus was willing to make him completely clean. And as a result of this man's proclaiming and preaching, 
Jesus could no longer enter towns like before. His popularity was increasing so much that now he was out in the deserted places, out where the leper used to be. And yet, the people still came to him from everywhere, from all sides. What I love and enjoy so much about this passage is that it is a beautiful picture of salvation, which is going to be my final point for this morning. A picture of our salvation. Why do we gather together on Sunday? To worship God, right? And why do we worship him? Because he brought life to our death in sin. Apart from Jesus, we are all sheep who are wandering and have gone astray, each to his own way, as Dave read from Isaiah 53 earlier. This passage in Mark that we looked at this morning reminds us that we all were once like this leper. Or perhaps you still are like this leper, unclean and in need of God to cleanse you, to forgive you of your sins. Because of our sin, rebellion, and disobedience, we were all separated from God. We can all echo the plea of the leper in regard to our sin. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And what is the response of the Messiah, the Son of God, to our plea? Paul puts it well in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5, if you want to turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Because of his great love for us, God has made us alive by taking the cost of our sin upon himself, dying on the cross and raising to life, conquering both sin and death, that we may have new life, have eternal hope and security in God, and ultimately that he may be glorified. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. God made the one who did not know sin. He made Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what is our response as ones who have been cleansed? What is our proclamation as ones who by faith have been redeemed by God's gracious gift? Can we echo John Newton? 
who was a slave trader that encountered the grace of God and sang his famous line, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Are we like the leper? Telling everyone we run into about what God has done in our life. Or do we just kind of forget about what he did? Do we just go on autopilot? How can we proclaim the greatest gift that has ever been given to us? I encourage you. I implore you to share with those in your life about what God has done to give you new life and a secure hope and peace. And we've got great resources to equip you in sharing your faith. In fact, we're planning to have a time in the near future where our whole church can get some great teaching and training on sharing your faith with others. And we can also follow Jesus' example of loving the unlovable, touching the untouchable, the outcasts, those rejected by everyone else with the same love that he first showed us. Think and pray about who God has in your life that you can compassionately care for and share the good news with. Take a second, write a couple names down and pray for them this week. Pray for opportunities to proclaim what God has done just as the cleansed leper did. This is a picture of our salvation. That we all come before God as spiritual lepers. We are all unclean. And that God in his rich mercy and faithful love responds with the gracious gift of salvation from our sin and death and restores relationship with him for eternity. And this morning, we get to remember and celebrate this with the Lord's Supper. So I'll pray, and then I'll give instructions as we get ready to partake. So go ahead and stand with me, and we'll pray. Oh God, you are so, so gracious, so loving. Lord, we, we all have sinned and fall short. We all have gone our own way, done our own thing, and wanted nothing to do with you. But Lord, you are our King of kings, Lord of lords. And you came as king not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, I pray this morning as we looked at how you healed the leper, that it can speak to us in the ways that you see fit. Father, if there are those here who do not believe in you, I pray that you are working on their hearts, that they can come to know you and have faith and new life in you. God, for those of us who do believe in you, I pray that you remind us continually of what you've done for us. That we can be like the leper and just go out and proclaim it to everyone we see. I pray that we don't let fear or other distractions or priorities get in the way, Lord. But that we can proclaim, proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has been brought near. Father, we thank you for the love that you have first shown us. 
I pray that we can compassionately show that to the world around us that's still lost in darkness. I pray for opportunities this week, Lord, to share about our faith, to share about the hope that we have. And I pray that your spirit helps us take a step out in faith and share about it, Lord. Pray for amazing conversations in that, Lord. And ultimately trusting you and your spirit to be working in their hearts to bring them to salvation. God, you are so amazing and marvelous. I pray we can just continue to worship you as we transition into remembering you through the Lord's Supper. I pray in your name.